Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Horse Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. And today we are going to be talking about bad 80s movies. Like really bad. Like we watched yeah. these for you so you don't have to bad. Um, although a couple of these I would actually recommend, but we kind of picked uh, seven random movies based on their IMDb scores. Um, and they had to be at least, I think, under a five. At least. Uh, yeah, but they're not like so bad they're good. The, mo- these are just mostly bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, first up, Microwave Massacre. Filmed in 1979, but not released until 1983. It has a 4.2 on IMDb. Which is the high, po- I think. <laughs> you, high for this movie? Or high in general? In general, but... Uh, yeah, although I have to say there are other movies on this list that I would rate lower, so that's probably fair, 4.2. All right. So the basic plot of this movie, construction worker Donald, and this is um, coming from IMDb. Uh, I think I reworked it a little bit. Uh, but construction worker Donald is having a hard time getting anything good to eat since his wife has decided to only cook gourmet foods in her fancy new microwave oven. Her horrible cooking and her constant nagging cause him to snap one night while drunk, and he bludgeons her to death with a pepper grinder. He realizes the next morning what he has done when he finds his wife's body in the microwave. (laughs) Um, That is literally the size of a full-size oven, so I'm not sure why it's a microwave. That's the biggest damn microwave I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I googled microwaves from 1979 when this was filmed, and they were not that size. I mean, I know they used to be like much bigger back then, but they were not full oven size. <laughs> Anyways, uh, soon he begins experimenting with different recipes because he has a uh, a newfound craving for flesh and finds new victims, mostly ladies of the night. It was directed by Wayne Barrick. Uh, Jackie Vernon stars in this film as Donald, the wife-murdering cannibal. Fun fact, he also plays the voice of Frosty in all those Frosty the Snowman cartoons that you've watched from the 60s and 70s growing up every Christmas. And next time you watch Frosty the Snowman with your kids during Christmas, you can think about Frosty killing and eating hookers. (laughs) What do you know? I'm even ticklish. I am alive! Awesome. A little bit of trivia here. Rodney Dangerfield was considered for the role of Donald, but he was asking too much uh, salary-wise, so they went That was my number one comment throughout this entire movie, is that I was like, this dude is the poor man's Rodney Dangerfield throughout the whole thing. That's so funny. I didn't know they actually asked him. He was the poor man's Rodney Dangerfield, and it might have been a slightly better movie if they actually cast Rodney Dangerfield in his role, but eh, whatever. The wife, whose name is May, she's portrayed as, like, the lousy cook. She literally, (laughs) in one scene, she makes uh, Donald a sandwich for lunch that is just, like, an entire snow crab, like, shell and all, between these two big round buns with some lettuce. (laughs) Yeah, and then there was a badass construction man crabs joke that was kind of funny. (laughs) Crabs burn! (laughs) 
Um, she was just portrayed as like the typical battle-ass, you know, constantly emasculating her husband, nagging him. And Donald is basically just like this gross old schlub who makes these cliche one-liners constantly throughout the film, just like putting her down. It kind of reminded me, um, like if you took Mr. and Mrs. Roper from Three's Company and yes. made a really cheesy horror movie with them where like Mr. Roper kills and eats Mrs. Roper and then tries to hide it from Jack and Chrissy and Janet and hilarious hijinks ensue. That is basically what this movie is. From that same scene, I also like that she just said to him, you're a walking contraceptive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think every one of the jokes in this film was written by 14 year old boys so this movie is filled with one-liners like it feels like 90 percent of the movie is just one-liners yeah Um, and they also reminded me of that the comic strip the lockhorns which is just like a middle-aged late to middle-aged couple who are just you know don't like each other or are frustrated with each other they're cooking the cleaning whatever it is they're hygiene uh, and like that's sort of what they reminded me of. Just like constantly putting each other down. Yeah. What will become eventually, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mindy, what are, what are your thoughts on this film? Uh, nothing on that last comment. Uh, <laughs> no, but I agree. I actually thought it was like a bad stand-up act throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of picked up for me a little bit, to be perfectly honest. Like, it kind of grew on me after a while, and then by the end, I thought it was hilarious, and I loved the ending. I actually, like, freaked out at the end in a good way. So I actually, it started off, and I was like, oh, tits and ass all the way, because, like, he's working at this construction site, and these, like, random hottie women just, like, show up looking for sex, (laughs) and there's a, a glory hole in the middle of this, like, rando like wall that they're constructing and I was like what the well, fuck is going on? Well it's not even a on? glory hole it's like a literally a boobed shape hole in this wooden fence where this chick with these huge breasts decides to just like stick her bare breast through these holes and starts like I don't know what she's doing she's like fucking the holes with her breasts like getting <laughs> off on it I, I don't even understand like what was going on and of course the construction workers see her and they just immediately like get up and start running over to her to like basically sexually assault her and then before they're able to do that she like pulls her breasts out of the hole well, wasn't <laughs> like, there a guy behind her like assaulting her uh, or something oh, maybe maybe she was getting fucked up against the fence I have no idea yeah once but again none though, of it made sense None of it made sense. Um, it was, you know, there. I mean, obviously, like, movies like this in the 80s, there is a lot of exploitation of women. I mean, the opening shot of this movie is just, like, a close-up of a busty blonde as she's walking down the street. And, it, yeah, it just kind of goes from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, all I have to say about that is, Yeah. But I don't know, for some reason, towards the end, it kind of cracked me. Uh, I got over that, and it kind of cracked me up. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah. But it also kind of reminded me of something that, like, Frank from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like a movie he would make, especially when they were cooking May, and, like, he starts distributing her to, like, all of his friends, and they're all like, oh, this is delicious. I just think, kept thinking of when Charlie and Dee... Uh, <laughs> 
think that they've eaten human meat and then think that they've turned into cannibals. That's like one of my favorite episodes of It's Always Sunny. And this movie, I was like, this is totally something they could have gotten behind. I will have to say this scene made me laugh out loud. Uh, there was a scene where Donald and some of his construction worker friends go through a drive through and the woman at the speaker asks, may I have your order? To which Donald responds, let down your hair, unbutton your blouse, hike up your skirt, stick out your tongue, and a Coke. <laughs> and then they all just start laughing, and they just proceed to drive off and go, you know, past the drive through window. And the woman is actually standing there like a statue doing all of those things. She's got her skirt, like, hiked up and tucked into her underwear. Her blouse is unbuttoned. Her hair is down. She's sticking out her tongue, and she's holding a coke (laughs) and I just it was like so ridiculous like the entire movie was kind of like a live action cartoon the way it was shot I have to say I was quite nervous about the dog the whole movie they may has this dog that's kind of annoying but I was just like son of a bitch if you touch that dog like I don't care if you kill your wife but like if you touch that dog I'll be pissed he doesn't luckily but still that made me nervous no that was the only negative really besides that and like the blatant like that was actually a bonus that dog was so cute and scruffy and its little tongue stuck out um but yeah it was just super low budget uh the dismembered body parts all looked like props that you would buy at the spirit store in the discount bin after halloween um one of the body parts looked like a giant penis i swear to god and i was like why is he putting a giant dick in the fridge and why does may (laughs) have a giant dick um yeah, I don't remember seeing a penis-looking body part, but maybe it was an arm or a leg. There there was no, uh, this is not, I don't even know if I would call this like a horror film because it, it, there's nothing, I mean, there was nothing scary about it. It was more, it was a comedy with, it was kind of like more of a raunchy comedy that with involved murdering. murder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And back to the whole like live action cartoon feel of the movie there was like one scene where donald is about to uh chop up a prostitute with an axe and you actually see him like pull one of the hairs out of his head to test the sharpness of the axe like you would see in a looney tune (laughs) cartoon with like elmer fudd (laughs) i don't know why that didn't occur to me the whole time i was watching it but it totally didn't that's funny I know. And, you know, there is also like just a lot of stereotypical jokes um, that, you know, I guess for the times, that's what they were doing. And there was like the one scene where they had the the like gay construction worker who they had like the one joke where they bring the busty blonde over to him and he starts like sneezing when she gets too close. Like he's actually allergic to her breasts or like (laughs) to her being a woman. I don't know. It was just like the most ridiculous jokes. Does not hold up. Yeah. It does not hold up at all. And what was up with the neighbors next door who were like constantly having orgies? Like every time Donald would come home from work, they'd be having orgies or there was the one time where his neighbor was outside wearing like a skimpy nightgown holding a cat and Donald pulls up from work and he's like, what a nice pussy. (laughs) Yeah. So the 80s just used horror movies as a way to make soft corn porn, apparently. (laughs) Soft core porn. I think I just said soft corn porn. Either way. Corn porn. Um, Yeah. And then there is. That's a new genre. um, the uh, I'm sure corn porn 
is a genre and I do not <laughs> want to Google it. Um, but then the, the same uh, neighbor that was holding the cat, there was another scene where she was in the garden, <laughs> like gardening literally with a vibrator, like using the vibrator yeah. to dig holes in the garden. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's all you need to know. So, um, yeah, it, it was most definitely written by a group of 14-year-old boys who I think just, like, wrote down ideas on paper, like um, gardening with vibrator, <laughs> pussy joke here, uh, glory hole breast fuck, you know, and just, like, threw all these, like, random things in a pile and just, like, pulled them out, and that's how they kind of created the uh, storyline. Pretty much. So that's enough of Microwave Massacre. Um, I would actually recommend it. Okay. Just because the sheer ridiculousness of it, I I did find it amusing. I mean, it's bad, and it's but it it's one of those movies where it is kind of like so bad it's good. Um, the next movie we're gonna be talking about is just so bad it's just bad. Um, and I'll let you talk about that. But would you recommend Microwave Massacre, Mindy? I would recommend it with a caveat. Like if this was what you were looking for, like some sort of like titanically bad silly movie then yes but absolutely I don't know that I recommend any of these movies quite frankly like seriously recommend them oh I would I mean if yeah I would there's a there's a couple this is the kind of movie that you want to watch with your friends when you get drunk or something and just make fun of it absolutely (laughs) all right Mindy what what is the next movie we had the displeasure of watching it's called redneck zombies and it's from 1989 And this had an IMDb rating of 4.3, which I don't quite understand because this was the movie, like, I literally almost called you, Sharon. I was like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have said, I did it. You have to, too. But yeah, I wanted to shut it off, like, halfway through. I was so fucking bored. Oh, my God. So from IMDb, a barrel of radioactive waste is lost out in the woods. Uh, some demented rednecks find it and use it as part of their still, because of course they do. Everybody who drinks the liquor they produce turns into zombies, including children and a baby. Meanwhile, seven city slickers, yeah, <laughs> on a camping trip get lost in the woods and encounter a nightmare world of these illiterate and extremely insensitive undead. While the tourist hikers use all of their wits and courage to stay alive, more and more, quote, down-home types imbibe the nasty brew until redneck zombies are everywhere. What started as a scenic nature hike turns into a bloodbath of dismemberment and cannibalism. That's... Gen- a generous way of putting it. Um, directed by Pericles Lunes, Lunes? Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He worked on the Toxic Avenger 2 and 3 and Troma's War. Uh, Redneck Zombies was distributed by Troma, but Lloyd Kaufman personally has no involvement with the actual making of the movie. Uh, stars, no one worth mentioning. <laughs> um, some trivia... The film was shot in 32 days on weekends over the course of a year. All of this is kind of obvious if you watch it, too, because, like, I literally thought we were watching somebody's home movies that somehow Amazon got a hold of. I swear to God. (laughs) Uh, The filmmaker sent this movie to many different distributors in order to get it released, all of whom turned it down. It was eventually picked up for release by Troma, which was the very first company it was submitted to. Huh. 
The film was one of the first movies to be shot entirely on videotape and was released directly to video. Also very (laughs) obvious as you're watching it. Um, The makeup for the zombie extras was done in a deliberately cheesy manner. So I have to say about the issue I have with this movie is I feel like there's nothing worse than watching bad actors intentionally trying to be bad. And that's what I thought this whole movie was, basically. Yeah. And so it was hard to watch because I was like, this isn't unintentionally bad. Like, they're trying to be bad, but they're awful. So, Like, a lot of the reviews on IMDb where people were defending this movie were like, this is supposed to be a bad movie. It's supposed to be acted bad. The makeup's supposed to be bad. The special effects are supposed to be bad. Like, get over it. That's what makes it, like, so brilliant and so good. It's like... Mm, no this is just like a really bad movie and you can do a bad movie and have it turn out to be good right but this just isn't one of them and I think a lot of people because (laughs) it's a trauma movie will basically love anything that trauma releases no matter what and they're like in denial (laughs) over how bad it actually is but no this movie just fucking sucked and it was slow and it was boring there was a couple scenes that I actually enjoyed um but they were like two scenes out of you know what like a 90 minute movie almost yeah I mean yeah and I do know that the guy the soldier who was like driving the toxic waste and essentially loses it at the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. he shows back up later on with two other soldiers to like find the toxic waste and he and the other one of the other soldiers there's like they just keep referring to the third one and being like fuck you like and it kind of reminded me of diane from twin peaks but like and that made me laugh but that was about it yeah and that's totally not funny so i don't really (laughs) that's all i got on this one i know there were so many reviews that were like if you don't find this movie funny get over yourself you pretentious roger ebert wannabe but there was yeah it was not funny like it wasn't and I like sophomoric humor but I don't think any amount of weed would have made this movie funny to me I mean fart jokes hilarious Adam Sandler movies brilliant that shit is all brilliant South Park Mr. Hankey a talking piece of poo genius this movie like nothing about it was funny well I do actually I lied though I do have one positive thing to say about redneck zombies Mm mm-hmm the drunk guy who like always had the random bottle of booze that was kind of funny but that was like an easily spottable joke so the two scenes I actually enjoyed were the two scenes that gave homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre there was the one scene with the crazy hitchhiker guy who was picked up by one of the rednecks and it was basically a reenactment of the scene from the beginning of Chainsaw where they pick up the hitchhiker and you know he takes the picture of um Franklin in the the character who's in the wheelchair and then like cuts his arm <laughs> but in, in this movie instead of using a um a straight razor he uses like um a safety razor <laughs> and oh, just yeah. kind of like shaves his arm I will say that was kind of amusing um and then also the last five minutes were kind of enjoyable as well it was very reminiscent of the final scenes in texas chainsaw massacre in the farmhouse yeah Um, yeah and some of the murders in that scene like some of the kills were pretty good there was death by spoon uh death (laughs) by hammer uh gun machete and also corn cob hey there you go i think if they try to 
I don't know, stick to that formula through the whole movie instead of trying to do whatever the fuck it was that they were trying to do, it would have been possibly a little more enjoyable. Yeah. Like, even the first half of the movie, I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, all the camera angles were upshot camera angles. It looked like their camera person was, like, a four-year-old child. (laughs) I seriously thought this was somebody's home video. Am I watching the right thing? Yeah, I would say um, this movie would not recommend it at all not even to like you know get drunk or get stoned and watch it and like joke around with your friends like I think it's that bad I would just avoid it at all costs pretty much yeah all right so the next movie I actually enjoyed a lot um I wish the quality of it was much better but it's Funeral Home from 1980 which I had never heard before uh has an IMDb rating of 5.2 Uh, That actually might be the highest rating of all these films that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Uh, The plot, this comes straight from IMDb. A young woman arrives at her grandmother's house, which used to be a funeral home, to help her turn the place into a bed and breakfast inn. After they open, however, guests begin disappearing or turning up dead. Um, So this was directed by William Fruitt who also directed a bunch of uh, Poltergeist, the legacy, the TV series that Mm. used to be on, and also Friday the 13th, the series. He directed a bunch of those episodes. Stars Kay Hawtrey, who has been in Videodrome, and also, uh, more recently, Urban Legend. She's also had like 100 other roles, but those are the only ones that I've actually heard of or seen. She looks like a pretty accomplished character actress, though. Uh, Also, Leslie Donaldson, who is in the underappreciated 80s horror movie, Happy Birthday to Me, a movie that I've recommended on this, on our podcast before. She is in this as well. And I think she has a small part in Happy Birthday to Me. But that is uh, definitely a movie, if you have not seen it, a horror movie I would recommend just one little piece of trivia here in an interview with star Leslie Donaldson she said that she has always thought of this film as something of a cross between the Little Red Riding Hood fable and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho uh yeah that's kind of obvious I can see Psycho I don't really see the connection to Little Red Riding Hood though Maybe because she's literally going to her grandmother's house, but right. like, I mean, that would be where I draw the line. There, I don't, I don't see any other comparison. But eh, cool. <laughs> so yeah, this movie was actually made as a legit serious horror movie. Which yeah, this, so this I enjoyed much more because yeah, like they were totally serious. They weren't yeah, which I appreciated. Yeah, they weren't trying to like spoof anything. There was no corny jokes. Um, it's definitely very low budget. And as Spencer said while we were watching it, it looks like it was digitized from a VHS that someone had played a hundred times. That's exactly, I thought the same thing. Yeah. There were some scenes that were just like so poor quality and so dark. It was really hard to see what exactly was going on. But if someone actually remastered this, I would give it another rewatch for sure. And I also think it would be a really good remake if someone wants to attempt this. I'm nominating Rob Zombie to do it because I would love to see his take on this movie. Um, So Rob Zombie, if by any chance you are listening, can you please remake Funeral Home? (laughs) I would love to see someone redo this because I actually think the plot of this movie 
is really interesting. And I guess the whole um, comparison to Psycho kind of might give away um, some of what is going on. I didn't see it coming. Um, but now that I, I know uh, what happened, I can definitely see how it's similar to Psycho. Are we going to talk and, about that or are we going to just leave that? Uh, we, should pro- 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 we probably should have said at the beginning of the episode that there might be some small spoilers. Um, no, I don't want to. You want to give honestly, it away? I don't want to give it away. I don't want to spoil anything because I think this is a very um, underrated and little seen film. And so if anyone out there who's listening wants to check it out, I would definitely go watch it. This is a movie that I would uh, definitely recommend. I enjoyed it much more than Redneck Zombies, let's be honest. But I wasn't a huge fan of this movie I don't know and the girl the main girl Heather Mm -hmm. (laughs) we talked about this amongst ourselves a little bit but like she's definitely afraid of cats throughout this movie like literally when she sees a cat she like freaks the fuck out like I do when I see an insect which is like really bad except like cats are sweet and cuddly and like you can snuggle with them not so much centipedes but um yeah and they never explain that either there's like no explanation like there is one scene where it's nighttime and she's looking out the window I think she hears like a noise outside and then she sees the same black cat that she saw in the beginning of the film that she like totally freaked out about and like hopped in a stranger's car and like hightailed it out of there but she sees this cat and she runs away from it like it's a fucking axe murder. <laughs> I know. And she get yeah, yeah. Like extremely, like extreme fear. Like it was kind of weird. Um, she but like that, runs to her room and hides under the covers from it. Like it's outside. She's staying at her grandma's house and like at night she'll hear like people talking, like voices and get up to investigate. And she's like walking through this dark, literal funeral home that like her and her grandma are trying to make into a bed and breakfast or something and I'm like okay so you can walk through a funeral home in the dark but you're definitely scared of cats okay like I don't really it was weird yeah I don't know it seems like there's a plot line they left out and forgot to like double back on or something yeah that was my only issue with the movie but the movie does end with the cat who is credited as Mitten um (laughs) Joe the cop who is one of the heroes of the film mittens is actually one of the other heroes of the film but i love when the cop sees the cat on the hood of his cop car and picks up the cat and he's like what are you doing on my new car and then he just sits on the hood of his car holding the cat giving it scritches and the camera zooms in on mittens face and then there's like a freeze frame of mittens through the entire end credits which I just thought was like so bizarre that they like chose to end this horror movie on like this cat's face. Could be worse. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's all we have to say about Funeral Home. But I personally think it, uh, I would recommend it. I liked it. So, Mindy, what about you? Would you recommend it? If I watched it again and it was better quality, maybe I'd recommend it. But I, I don't know. I, I just. I, I okay maybe I'd recommend it because it wasn't as bad as redneck zombies for sure um, <laughs> nothing is as bad as redneck zombies <laughs> this is true I think you probably know what my least favorite is about of all these movies but <laughs> if those are your only two choices I think we all choose funeral home <laughs> I have a runner-up don't worry <laughs> all right well, what's next 
We're going to move now to the icing on the cake for this round of bad movies. Oh, our next movie is called Iced. <laughs> um, it's from 1989, and it has an IMDb rating of 4.3. The summary is from IMDb, but with a little tweaking. Uh, Jeff loses a skiing challenge against his friend Corey while competing for the affections of a woman named Trina that they both love. Jeff tragically dies that same night when he drunk skis off a cliff, but not before (laughs) hinting at seeking vengeance on Corey and the rest of his friends. Now... Years later, the group of friends have been invited to try out a new remote ski resort as a promotion. As they arrive, they begin to suspect something is not right. But by the time they realize it, it's far too late. Someone is stalking them, seeking revenge for Jeff. And by the time the sun rises out of their de- on their desolate cabin, they will be iced. Yeah. Uh, directed by Jeff Quitney, who, has, who is a writer on some episodes of Animaniacs and Cow and Chicken. Uh, stars Lisa Loring, who played young Wednesday Adams on The Adams Family, uh, Deborah DeLiso, and Joseph Gordon, or excuse me, Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> he was like a, t- he's very young in this movie. He was six months old. <laughs> Joseph Allen Johnson. Uh, both he and Deborah DeLiso are from uh, Slumber Party Massacre. All right, just a little bit of trivia here. So, Doug's actor Doug Stevenson, who plays Corey in the movie, and Lisa Loring, who is the actress that plays Wednesday Adams, they were actually married at the time this movie was made in real life. But in the movie, both of them had some pretty steamy sex scenes with other actors, which is kind of weird. I think this is the movie that I actually did write down. Oh, this, like the softcore porn thing. Like, oh, the 80s, bad 80s horror movies were really just an excuse to try and make softcore porn. Because, like, there were some scenes where I was like, whoa, okay. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of getting it on in this movie. <laughs> totally. Um, all right. So what did you think of this movie? Well, I've never been skiing. And I was totally confused because, like, for the whole ski challenge, I was like, don't they close the slopes at night? Like, I don't, which is a tiny little detail to get hung up on, but I was kind of confused. But I actually kind of enjoyed this movie. I thought it was kind of fun. I, yeah. So this is an example of a really bad cheesies 80 horror movie, sorry, 80s horror movie that is so bad that it's actually good. And I'm a total sucker for 80s slasher flicks. So I actually really like this movie too because it was just so bad and we'll get into some of the um the really (laughs) bad parts in a bit but as to your comment about you know if they close down the slopes at night I mean they do have lights to light up the ski slopes I think they do leave them open I've only been skiing like once or twice um and yeah I think you can ski at night for a bit but the movie literally opens up with a ski challenge over a woman and it's before like any characters are named any plots are established we learn like nothing it's basically just like do you want to have a ski challenge yeah did you say that was the very first line it was like the very first it wasn't the very first line but that's just how the movie opened it was basically like everyone standing there yeah some dude starts talking to a girl and this other dude comes up and is like why are you talking to her she's here with me let's challenge let's you know and they do this like ski off yeah and i i was confused okay we're just gonna get right into the skiing okay okay 
But yeah, I was like, what is happening? Who are these people? Okay, we're going to fight over this girl. Sweet. Yeah, he like gets pissed at all his friends. So he's like, I'm going to go skiing by myself. He's been drinking. Uh, And there's scenes of him skiing down the mountain with this like 80s synth music playing that just keeps getting like faster and faster and faster. And there's shots that are cut between Trina and Corey having sex to like Jeff drunk rage skiing down the side of a mountain. (laughs) And then there's like the moment where Trina and Corey like both climax as Jeff goes flying off the cliff and dies. And it was just like, this is amazing. (laughs) Parallel editing for the win. (laughs) For sure. But it was just kind of funny because then when they actually showed him like fall, it was just kind of like bloop, like onto this like thing of rocks. And it just made me laugh. I just want to make something clear though. So they have this ski off at the beginning. Jeff loses. He was dating what? Trina? Mm-mm. They weren't even dating. They were just friends. He wanted something more, but okay. yeah. she was like, I, we're not even together. She's like, I don't understand why he's so pissed. All right. I thought they were dating, but uh-uh. either way. This guy, Corey, ends up basically winning, I'm doing air quotes, winning her. And Essentially. Then, like, that's that, like, she's like his property now and they end up getting married. It's just the weirdest thing in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, I told Spencer, that is so bizarre. That would be like if you and one of your friends had like a chess tournament or something and whoever won, like, I became their property. <laughs> like, well, I guess I'm Dan's wife now. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably beat me at chess too. I like that you assume that Spencer wouldn't win at chess. <laughs> well, his friend Dan is just really good at chess. That's the thing. There's a few deaths in this movie that are a little underwhelming. Like the very first death um, after Jeff, now that we know that there's like a killer on the loose, it was the death um, by the guy with the bulldozer, where the oh guy basically just like. He, like, gets out of his car that's stalled on the side of the road, and all of a sudden there's this, like, bulldozer coming at him in, like, super slow motion out of nowhere, and he's trying to walk back to his car or, like, get away, but I guess the ground's, like, super slippery now, and he just can't, so he's just, like, laying on the ground, (laughs) Like, in slow motion, he gets run over. And then you see him, like, going between the treads of the bulldozer. So there's, like, a huge gap there where it wouldn't have even crushed him. But then there's, like, this shot of, like, all the red snow under the bulldozer's treads. And it was, like, just such a dumb death scene. That is from an Adam Sandler movie or something, isn't it? There's a scene in an Austin Powers movie where ah. there's a like a it's not a Zamboni. bulldozer. No, yeah, yeah not it's even something as, from far away though. There's one, yeah. There's one with um, with one of those pavement. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Right. Yes. And they're like a block away, and <laughs> yeah. it's running really, really slow. And he's like, oh no, oh no, but he doesn't move. And then it's yeah, they really play it up. Maybe Austin Powers ripped off Iced. Yeah. Um, no, I do like that Trina's character is constantly working out in the movie. Once they're at the ski cabin, there's like one scene where everyone's just like hanging out talking and she's just doing like bicep curls. And then there's another scene where they're in the kitchen, like drinking wine, like talking about their men and she's doing like push-ups on the counter. And then in the next scene, she's doing like these weird leg lifts to work her hamstrings. It's like, what the fuck? 
Was it written into the script or did she just improvise all that? Yeah, maybe in, and she was like, all right, my character really needs to stay in shape. And I'm, <laughs> I think this character is going to be constantly working out. Well, it comes in handy in the end. Yeah, I mean, she was like, it even looked like jazzercise, kind of, the way she was dressed. And it was kind of appropriate. Did you notice... That there was like a smoke machine was used in almost every single scene. Like every time that yeah, they were I even did. inside, it was just like super smoky. Like no one was smoking cigarettes. I think they just, you know, wanted to get their money's worth. They like spent a lot of money on a smoke machine and they're like, well, we're going to use this. Smoke <laughs> machines are a pain in the ass, let me tell you. So if you have one and you want to use it, you best get your money's worth because they are a pain. So this is a movie that doesn't take itself super seriously no but i i think it's i think it does try to be kind of um like a a good slasher film but also there is um there is one quote in particular that was like very tongue-in-cheek that kind of i think told a little bit more about like what they were going for with this film one of the characters is telling a story they're like around the dinner table and he's talking about a date that he went on where he took a girl to go see a movie and he said that you know it was one of those flicks where the only time you watch the screen is either if someone's naked or someone's getting killed or both (laughs) (laughs) that is the perfect summary of this movie kind of yeah yeah, was that the overshare dinner scene? Yes. The weird uh, sharing yeah. hour where like Trina told the story about how her like fake boobs got soggy one time. Yes. Is that the same scene? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and there is definitely a lot of gratuitous nudity and sex scenes um, in this movie, and especially of Wednesday Adams that I do not think Morticia and Gomez would approve of if they saw this movie. <laughs> And there was the one scene of her where she's like making out with the manager of the ski resort who is the one that like invited them all there. And I think he was doing like a timeshare presentation or something. Oh, yeah. And then he was going to leave. And she's like, no, why don't you stay for a drink? And he was like, "Okay." And then afterwards, there's this intimate scene of the two of them laying on the floor in the living room in front of the (laughs) fireplace, like getting to know each other. And she starts unbuttoning his shirt and they start kissing. And you think that they're all alone. But then in the next shot, you realize that they're like in the middle of the living room. Like when everybody there. Yeah. everyone's there all their friends are around them and they're just like making out with each other like you would do in high school but no these are people who are in their mid-20s now there was some like cool death scenes though um there is death by ski pole uh death by icicle there is a hot tub electrocution that would be yes. uh, wednesday adams that was awesome. Death by a bear trap. Although that one was weird because when they find the body, there is literally no blood by the foot that's stuck in the trap. But somehow there's like blood oh, all right. over the guy's chest. <laughs> Don't know how that works. Um, maybe the blood all just like shot up from his leg onto his chest. And that's why there's no blood on his foot. I don't know. Um, and then Corey. So like the main character that, you know, fought with the um with Jeff Je- Jeff yeah who died and who's apparently his ghost or whatever is like back stalking them or haunting them or murdering them he gets stabbed with a butcher's knife while eating a pie in the kitchen in the middle of the night so Trina wakes up to find her husband Corey laying on the kitchen floor 
with a knife sticking out of his clavicular area. So what does she do? She immediately calls an ambulance to try and save him, right? No, I'm just kidding. She calls Alex, the ski resort manager, to have him come over instead. Can you fix this? (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Like, if your husband is dying with a knife sticking out of his chest, why would you call the manager of the ski resort that you're staying at? And then she realizes that, like, all her other friends have been murdered. She runs out of the house with no pants on, just like... A shirt? I think she grabs a jacket to put on. She doesn't grab any pants. Yeah, I don't know. That was a little bit weird. But the ending of the movie kind of made, like, the whole thing for me. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I will say that all of Trina's working out actually came in handy at the end of the movie. <laughs> but, yeah, I actually, I, I liked this one. I have to say, if I had to pick, this was this was kind of fun. This was fun. And the... Can we just talk about, like, the very, very ending of the movie? So, cut to five years later. Trina and Corey, they're now married. They have a young child, played by Joseph (laughs) Gordon-Levitt. You see this family. They're outside in the snow. They're putting the finishing touches on their snowman. Trina picks up a piece of coal and puts it where the snowman's eye is. And then yeah. all of a sudden, blood starts squirting out of the snowman's eye socket. And a guy in a blue jumpsuit with orange tinted ski goggles that basically was what Jeff was wearing the night he drunk skied off a cliff, jumps <laughs> out from inside the snowman. All right. Like, let's just break this down a bit. Oh, my God. So I e- loved it. So either they came across the snowman. And there was already a guy hiding in it, waiting to jump out at just the right moment. Or somehow they accidentally built the snowman around this guy. Or the guy somehow snuck inside of the snowman without them noticing or disturbing the snowman at all. I think you're overthinking this. I think you're really overthinking. (laughs) I don't think I am. (laughs) And then also blood shoots out from the snowman's eye, but there is no blood on the person who jumped out of the snowman. I mean, whatever. Ten stars. That's what I give this movie. This is how you do bad horror people. Take note. Highly recommend. I do. Yeah, I recommend this one. I do think you're overthinking the ending. I think you're just supposed to go with it. But regardless, I liked it. I think she's thinking about it the appropriate amount. Thank you, Spencer. (laughs) Because we had a little discussion about it at that point. And, you know, you know, you, you, you got to talk about the specifics of the situation. All right. So the next movie on our list is Jaws the Revenge, which is the fourth Jaws movie. Came out in 1987. And this is the lowest rated movie on our list. It has an IMDb rating of only three. Wow. I know. <laughs> Which is funny because it's, it's surely not the worst movie on this list, I feel like. I, I agree. Um, it's not good, but it's definitely not the worst. No. So the basic plot, Chief Martin Brody's widow, Ellen, Chief Brody is Roy Scheider's character from the first two Jaws movies. She believes that her family is deliberately being targeted by another shark in search of revenge. Chief Brody died of a heart attack that happened because he was afraid of sharks. Their son, Sean, is now a deputy in Amity, 
where they live. Uh, one night during the Christmas season, this is a Christmas movie, people. Uh, Sean is called to untangle a log from a buoy. And when Sean goes to the buoy, he's killed by a great white. Ellen is devastated at her youngest son's death. Her eldest son, Michael, arrives with his family, wife Carla and daughter Thea, from the Bahamas, where he studies conch migration as a marine biologist. Of course he does. Hey, that sounds like a great job. I would take that job in a heartbeat. Well, yeah, except for when your entire family's been hunted by sharks, but whatever. (laughs) Um, So Ellen orders him to change careers as she no longer wants any of her family to have anything to do with the ocean. Very rational. Instead, Michael persuades her to come with them back to the Bahamas for Christmas. He promises that the ocean water is too warm for great whites, a species that Ellen is convinced has a vendetta against the birdies. On the plane to the Bahamas, Ellen meets Hoagie, played by Michael Caine. Yes, Michael Caine is in this movie. He is great in it. (laughs) his best role ever Uh, and the two develop a relationship Ellen starts having psychic visions of the shark's arrival but decides to brush them off because she realizes that her visions may be coming true after her granddaughter and son are both attacked by a great white did the shark follow them is this a different shark we may never know. Those are both good questions because I've not seen any of the sequels and it's been a long time since I've seen the original Jaws. So I was kind of asking myself whose revenge this was. Was it Michael's revenge? Was it Ellen's revenge or the shark's revenge? Hmm. Uh, well, it would be the shark's revenge. But I don't know. I think that's up for debate. Do sharks hold vendettas? <laughs> I don't know. Do sharks recognize people in that way? I don't know. Anyway. Or specific people from a specific like an entire lineage. lineage. Yeah. <laughs> um, directed by Joseph Sargent. He has 92 directing credits, oh. but nothing I have ever seen. Except maybe like the 17 episodes of Lassie Aww, that he did. Because I watched that as a kid sometimes. Um, it stars Michael Caine and Mario Van Peebles. I have to say, Mario Van Peebles, his character was my favorite in this movie. And I also read in IMDb that he wrote his own character. His oh, really? lines, yeah. Yeah. Oh. But he was my favorite of all the characters. And by favorite, I'm like putting that lightly, but you know what I mean. There is um, some kind of interesting trivia here, a little fun facts. So this is one of Michael Caine's notorious, quote, paycheck movies, <laughs> along with The Swarm from 1978, Ashanti in 1979, Beyond the Poseidon Avenger, 1979, wow. The Island from 1980, The Hand from 1981, and Blame It on Rio in 1984. So he had a lot of paycheck movies. Yeah, shit. When Caine was asked about this movie in an interview, he answered, quote, I have never seen it. But by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. Awesome. Michael Caine, <laughs> I know. Michael Caine said, quote, won an Oscar, built a house, had a great holiday, not bad for a flop movie. <laughs> Damn, dude. He did not win an Oscar for this movie, by the way. No, he did he not. Just, but he was very fun in it. Yeah. He won an Oscar for his role in Hannah and Her Sisters, um, which... Actually, he could not attend the Oscar ceremony because of his filming schedule because of this movie. It was so tight that he couldn't get away. But he won an Oscar while he was making this horrible movie. So congratulations, Michael (laughs) Caine. 
Roy Scheider was actually offered a cameo, but declined, stating Satan himself could not get me to do Jaws Part 4. <laughs> wow. That, wow. Wow. That's an amazing quote. Damn. Um, wasn't that bad. I mean, like, it was bad. I mean, but. it wasn't that good either. No. I don't know. It just, it was what it was. I don't really have too much to say about this movie. Um, it's not a good movie. The shark looks really fake, which you would think that because this was made 12 years after the original, fake shark technology would be better by now or back then. Yeah, there was some really obvious differences between the color of the water and the close-up scenes versus like the wide shots because the close-up scenes were actually shot in a tank. Uh, But still, it's like drastically different in color. And another little fun fact, the water in the tank where the um, ending scenes were shot was filled with blue dye, and it actually turned Michael Caine and Lorraine Gary, who played um, the widow, uh, it turned their hair blue. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about this movie. Um, I'm going to let you make your comments, and then I have a real-life horror story linked to this movie that I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Um, all I have to say is that there's a scene, I think it's the New Year's Eve party, where they, they're still in the Bahamas after Christmas, and like they take Ellen and, and Hoagie, and then, uh, what was Mario Van People's name? Jake, his wife, and then Michael and his wife, they're all at this like dinner for New Year's Eve, and uh, Michael goes up to cut in to dance with his mom, and the Jets song, You Got It All, was playing in the background. And I loved <laughs> that song when I was little. And I think that we even had like the record, like not the 45, but like the record single that they used to release where, where it was like the song and then maybe like different remixes of the song or something. But like I distinctly remember and I kind of freaked out during that scene because I hadn't heard that song in years. That's kind of all I have to add, really. <laughs> Thank you for um, saying that that was the Jets because I remember hearing that song in the movie and I couldn't get my phone out in time to Shazam it because I was like, oh shit, I used to love this song when I was a kid. I was like, who sings this? Who sings this? And then it was over. I was like, eh, yep, I'm not even going to look the it Jets. Up. Cool. All right. So are you ready for this, Mindy? No. What's happening? <sighs> All right. So we started doing, um, well, I should say, actually, Spencer found this out. He was going through IMDb right after we finished the movie because as we mentioned there is a a a granddaughter in the movie who is played by adorable child actress named judith barcy and he was like holy shit she died like a year after this movie was made and so i was like that's insane like she's so young how how did she die and so he proceeded to read me the story which I will now read to you. And then I decided to do some more digging and then found out I kind of went down a rabbit hole. Um, So I'm going to tell you everything that I found right now. A very worthy rabbit hole, I might add. (sighs) It's it's (laughs) insane and sad and scary. I'm going to give a trigger warning here um, for discussion of child abuse. Oh, boy. This just got serious. Oh, yeah. No, this this is not... Uh, great. <laughs> this is very tragic and sad. But I think because we are talking about this movie, it is worth mentioning. Um, and also, well, you'll see. There's some more recent links to some other stuff that we have talked about on this show. So I'm just going to get into it now. So this comes from IMDb. 
Judith Barsi, the only child of Joseph Barsi and Maria Benko, Judith Eva Barsi beat 10,000 to 1 odds when she was discovered at a San Fernando Valley skating rink at age five and a half in 1983. Her first commercial was for Donald Duck Orange Juice, and she went on to appear in between 50 and 100 commercials, several episodes of various TV series, including Cheers and Growing Pains, and three major motion pictures, including doing voices for The Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Her mother, Maria, was the main thrust of her career as a Hollywood starlet, but also took great pains to try and give her a normal, happy childhood, bringing her Hungarian meals like duck for her school lunch. But this happy childhood did not last long. Beginning in 1985, Joseph would often be home drunk instead of working as a plumber, and he refused to let Maria work. As a result, the family briefly went on welfare until Judith's career took off in 1986 and 1987. By the time she entered fourth grade, she was pulling in an estimated $100,000 a year, which Mm. bought her family a nice four-bedroom house on a quiet street in Canoga Park, California. As her career soared, her father became an increasingly abusive recluse who constantly threatened to kill his wife and daughter. In stressful moods, Judith bit her nails, plucked out her eyebrows and eyelashes, and her cat's whiskers. CPS was called in numerous times, but as Maria was reluctant to press charges and many of the reports were emotional and not physical abuse, the case was not pursued. On Wednesday, July 27th, Eunice Daly, a next-door neighbor, heard a loud bang next door while watering her plants. One night after a fight, Judith's father went into his daughter's bedroom as she was sleeping on her side, facing the window. He shot her in the head and then shot his wife, Maria, in the hallway. The last bullet he shot went to himself, taking his own life. But wait, 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 wait. There is a lot more. Oh, my God. So imagine that you just moved into a new house with your wife and your 10-year-old daughter. That it's your perfect family home that you've been dreaming of. Fits your budget. It's located in a safe community. Then a neighbor randomly asked you if you knew about the murders that took place inside your home over 30 years ago. Suddenly, the strange occurrences that were happening start to make sense. Well, this was real life for Francisco Bernal and his family back in 2001. The Bernal family moved into a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home in Canoga Park, California. They knew very little about the property's history when moving in, but were informed by a neighbor that their home was the site of a Hollywood tragedy involving two murders and one suicide of Judith Barcy and her parents. They shared their story during season one of Murder House Flip on the streaming platform Quibi? Quibi. 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 Yeah. Shut up. Are you serious? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So when the family first moved in, they said that they felt a dark presence. The garage door would mysteriously open and close. There would be random cold spots in the home and footsteps were heard in the hallway. Gabby, who was 10 years old at the time, that's their daughter, had trouble sleeping and she often felt like she was being watched, which would haunt her into adulthood. As it turns out, Her bedroom was also the bedroom of Judith Barcy. 
Knowing that, Gabby says she has never been able to sleep facing towards the window as that's how Judith was killed. She was sleeping on her side facing towards the window when her father shot her. Gabby also started hanging dream catchers on her wall to help ward off nightmares that developed. But even more eerie, when the family first moved in 19 years ago, Gabby made an imaginary friend named Joseph which they later realized was the name of the killer. The design team on Murder House Flip, House Beautiful Next Wave designer Mikkel Welch and Joelle, uh, I'm going to say Uziel? Or Uziel? Uziel? Uh, Uziel, I apologize. Sorry, we don't watch House Beautiful Next Next Wave. Yeah, and I apologize if I mispronounce that. Um, But they came to the rescue to help the Bernals make peace with their home. They gutted the hallway where Maria Barcy was murdered and the bedroom where Judith Barcy was murdered. Gabby was feeling bad energy from the window in her room, so the team replaced it with French doors that led directly into the backyard. They also gave her new carpeting, furniture and decor and switched up the arrangement. Gabby's childhood bedroom was transformed into a chic, classy retreat, quote, an adult bedroom. The Bernals were ecstatic over their home reno. Quote, it looks like a magazine cover. It looks so beautiful, Gabby said of the backyard. Welch and Uziel? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry again. Um, They also gifted her a purple amethyst crystal known to promote healing to keep in her bedroom. I felt bad energy here, but now it feels, but now I feel it has dissipated. She said of her new space. That info comes from House Beautiful, um, an article that I read online. So that is fucking insane so wait so they're okay staying there now because usually when you do construction they say that riles things up if the house is well apparently now it did the opposite they feel peace there for the first time and they were experiencing things before they even knew that there was a triple or yes double murder suicide in the house i mean I thought you had to disclose that information when you buy a house, but I don't know. Maybe well, not in yeah, California. I think that's a more recent thing, though, that you have to disclose that information. I don't know. It might have been different depending on when they bought it. I mean, this was in 2001 is when they bought it. Oh, so, shit. I don't know. Um, but yeah. yeah, but just the coincidences about um, the the little girl that lived there had a, a an imaginary friend named Joseph, Ew, and that's also she couldn't sleep facing the wall. Like yeah, yeah, totally creepy. Absolutely, and that's I think the most exciting thing to come from this movie. Sadly, uh, I don't know. I would say that this is exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, more like but... tragic and heartbreaking, but <laughs> but like the ghost part of it is kind of interesting. The ghost part is we'll definitely that interesting. Way. Yeah. It definitely reinforces my beliefs that there is something else out there as far as um, an afterlife, something that we cannot explain fully. Um, yeah. On a little bit lighter note, Judith Barcy was also in a made-for-TV movie with Joaquin Phoenix uh-huh. and Michael Antkeen, who plays Sheriff Harry Truman, from Twin Peaks. She was also in an after-school special with Sherilyn Fenn, who was also in Twin Peaks. Very strange. So, some of our uh, favorite people there. But yeah, she um, 
She was, I mean, God, like at 10 years old, she had so many acting credits to her name. She was in movies with people like Joaquin Phoenix and Michael Caine. And who knows what would have happened if her father didn't end her, her life. Like she could have gone on to have been a great actress or director or, you know, anything. Really, it's just so sad. That is that is insane. Wow. But um yeah, I just had to <laughs> sorry sorry if I brought this down a little bit. It's like um, so Jaws I... the Revenge everybody. Real life ghost yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, let's let's turn things around now. Um the last two movies we have are a little more upbeat. Um especially the next one, Mindy. Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, my mom's a werewolf. That's the name of the movie. I'm not making a statement. Um, <laughs> it's from 1989. And it actually has an IMDb rating of 4.4. It is the only PG movie that we watch out of the bunch, which is kind of funny considering. The plot, uh, sexually frustrated and underappreciated housewife Leslie visits an animal shop to purchase a flea collar. Unaware that the owner, Harry, who's played by the late, great John Saxon, is a great werewolf. <laughs> What? A great name for a character who's a werewolf, Harry. Dude, seriously, right? Well, yeah, so John Saxon's name is, his character's name is Harry. He's a werewolf. Uh, and she accepts his invitation to lunch and then back to his place for a little brown chicken wow wow. She gets bitten on her toe by Harry and slowly starts to transform into a werewolf while desperately trying to hide the transformation from her family. Eventually, her daughter Jennifer and the hor- her horror movie loving friend, who's my favorite character next to one other that we'll get to in a bit, um, recognize what's going on and try to help. Her best friend is totally Blossom. She's totally dressed like Blossom, and she's one of my favorite parts of this movie. But I digress. <laughs> that's not part of the intro. That's my addition. And she goes to horror movie conventions. Yeah, so she does. Yeah, she does. We, and she, like, reads Fangoria during the whole movie, and oh, my God, I love it. Anyway, we, Sharon. We would have totally hung out with her if we knew her in high school. <laughs> we need to have her on the show, even though I know she's not real. Like, she's a fake, she's a character, but I was like, I want her on our show. <laughs> Sharon, who directed this? So it's directed by Michael Fisher, and I'm sure all of you guys are like, who the fuck is Michael Fisher? But he directed Death Spa, which was the question that we got wrong (laughs) on our one-year anniversary trivia episode about a um, gruesome deaths that begin to occur at a hip L.A. health club. Uh, Spencer and I actually watched that movie right after we did our trivia episode, and it is a really bad 80s movie as well. Um, it's just really absurd. Uh, so obviously we recommend it. Um, but if you do want to hear a really good discussion on Death Spot, check out the Genre Grinder podcast. It's episode 13 about techno horror movies, including Death Spa. <laughs> um, and it features Mindy's friend Jim, who does a much better discussion of death spot than i could ever do and he actually enjoys that movie and appreciates it way more than i did um but it's an interesting episode and i i liked what he had to say about it and he helped clarify a few things for me because the entire time spencer and i were watching the movie i was just like what the fuck is going (laughs) on um but yeah anyways back to my mom's a werewolf 
so yeah so that's all that's good to know thank you Sharon and Jim's also a listener so what up Jim my mom is a werewolf however stars John Saxon as we've already said and Susan Blakely as the werewolf mom you may recognize her from Beverly Hills Chihuahua too just, <laughs> just kidding. She's been in a ton of TV shows and movies. Nothing we've really ever seen. Um, but the late Marsha Wallace is also in it. And she did the voice of <laughs> Mrs. Krabappel on The Simpsons. Um, trivia? There really isn't very interesting trivia in this. Hmm. No. <laughs> I, I couldn't find any really interesting trivia about this movie. That's all I have movie. to say about that. <laughs> I will say that we had this movie on our list and the day before Spencer and I were supposed to watch it, the late, great John Saxon passed away. So um, it was kind of a coincidence, I guess, that this was on our list to watch like the very next day after he died. Um, I didn't even realize that he was in this movie. But yeah, not his best. Uh. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that this was like one of his like paycheck movies because <laughs> I was kind of screaming at the TV from the beginning. I, I actually wrote down at one point, like, dear production team, please research werewolves and vampires and get them fucking straight. He totally was in between a vampire and a werewolf. Okay, thank you. Werewolves don't do the whole invade your dreams come after you shit that's that's vampires yeah it was i was like hmm considering like one of the main characters is supposed to be this horror movie expert i was like they're getting a lot of things wrong here but whatever john saxon's character was fun um (laughs) there was one line by him when john saxon was about to get it on with uh werewolf mom leslie he has a line that (laughs) where he says i just want to crawl up inside you and die i was like what would i do if like a guy was about to go down on me and said i just want to crawl up inside of you and die you would leave is what you would do i (laughs) i hope anyway i hope i would too (laughs) Although, who knows, that might secretly turn me on. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's also a joke about her eating meat, and she was like, I'm a vegetarian. And he was like, oh. Like, he like got all... It's kind of funny. I thought. Yeah, when I first started watching this, I because it's PG, I was like, oh, I might recommend this to my sister-in-law for my niece to watch, because she kind of likes horror movies, although she's like totally scared of them and she won't really watch them. But I was like, oh, this might be something that she would watch, kind of like a, a Teen Wolf type movie where it's not going to be like super scary or anything. And it's definitely not scary at all. No. But it was a lot more like sexualized than I thought it would be yeah. for its rating. Like there was like a toe job scene. Yes. And- That's how she got bits. <laughs> And I was like, what is happening right now? This is so fucking weird. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe I won't tell my sister-in-law to have my niece watch this movie. Maybe in like a couple of years. But it was like a family sitcom TV show mixed with like a raunchy teen 80s comedy. But like the raunchiness wasn't from the teen characters in the movie. It was from the adult characters. Yeah. There was like kind of a funny scene where the mom was locked herself in the bathroom and kept like shaving her legs (laughs) and like the hair just kept like coming and coming and coming and growing and she's like literally sitting in a pile of hair like three feet high and yeah it was just not it's not great but 
I would say watch it for John Saxon because I liked his character. This was literally at the bottom of my list. And then I watched Redneck Zombies after this. And I was like, oh, I would watch My Mom is a Werewolf like 20 times over before I watched <laughs> Redneck Zombies. Which is yeah, kind of rough. So, uh, Redneck Zombies makes My Mom is a Werewolf look like Schindler's List. I mean, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're both bad movies. But this is like a bad, good-ish movie. Uh, I don't even know if I can say it's like good, but whatever. Uh, it's interesting, and John Saxon's in it, and I can watch him in almost anything because he's a great character actor. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Well, oh, I, I'm going to say almost anything because with this one, it pushed my limits a little bit, but it was still fun. All right, so we have one final movie on our list. Uh, this was also um, a movie from our very first trivia episode yeah uh there was a question about this movie that i got wrong uh it is he knows you're alone from 1980 it has an imdb rating of a 5.0 the the plot of this movie comes straight from imdb a reluctant bride to be is stalked by a serial killer who only kills brides and other people around them while her friends get whacked one by one, a hard-boiled renegade cop whose bride had been killed years before tries to hunt him down before it's too late. Meanwhile, the bride has to figure out if it's all in her imagination or not, aided by her ex-boyfriend. Who's a douche, I'm going to say. I liked him at first because he worked in a morgue and was studying forensics. I was like, why is he your ex? This guy's awesome. But I'll get to why. I hated him later, but it was directed by Armand Mastri Mastroianni. Sure. We'll go with. Um, He also directed the 1982 horror movie Clairvoyant, which I had never heard of, but I looked it up and it's about two uneasy friends, a police officer and a TV talk show host who each pursue the mysterious handcuff killer and the aid of an artist who sees and draws the killer's crimes before they're committed so um i think we probably should add that to our list because that sounds kind of interesting yeah it does actually because we had a bunch of movies that we found for this round that we deemed too good for this list (laughs) yeah Um, because they had like a 6.0 so maybe we could do like a sort of bad 80s movie run at some point Sure. Or just like little known 80s horror movies. But yeah, this sounds kind of interesting, actually. I'd see it. So the movie stars Don Scardino, who has a lot more directing credits to his name than acting, actually, um, including uh, he's directed a bunch of episodes of 30 Rock and Law and Order. Uh, Dana Barron is also in this movie. She plays the daughter Audrey in the original National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, you might have recognized her when you were watching it and been like, who is that? Yeah. Um, There's also this other actor. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him before. Uh, I think his name is Tom Hanks. I hope I pronounced that correctly. (laughs) Um, But this was actually his first movie. And that is the question I got wrong on our very first horror movie trivia episode which I actually my answer was Denzel Washington and that's right of course they were in Philadelphia together so I was like kind of close um 
But anyways, a uh, little bit of trivia. In the DVD commentary, director Armand Mastroianni said that horror fans frequently frequently confuse this film with the movie When a Stranger Calls from 1979 because of their similarly... <laughs> I don't know why I'm having a hard time with because of their similarly threatening titles. I totally also- did that. Sorry, really quick. I just want to say that I totally did that because I remember seeing the box for this in the movie, like in the movie store, like the video store, movie store, whatever. The video- movie store. <laughs> the video store when I was a kid and um, was sort of disappointed that it wasn't as scary as I thought it looked. But anyway. This movie note. or when a stranger calls? This movie. Oh, you, oh. Like, I remember okay. seeing the box, like, when I'd go to the video store and thinking it was much scarier than it is, and now I saw it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, so the box for this movie is actually scary. Spencer, pull it up, because I want to see what the cover yeah, of the Yeah, I specifically looks remember like. seeing the box, but I never saw this movie until we, did, we watched it for this. Oh, yeah. Well, it's basically just a woman who has her fists up over her face looking... Terrified. Completely terrified. Yeah, that actually does look pretty scary. Yeah, this movie, spoiler alert, not scary at all. (laughs) Um, But when both films were playing at a New York theater (laughs) at the same time, the theater marquee read, when a stranger calls, he knows you're alone, as if it was one big movie title. (laughs) That's fantastic. Oh, my God. Uh, another little piece of trivia, Tom Hanks later described the preposterousness of the carnival scene, noting how ridiculous it was to depict the rides being enjoyed by patrons in freezing temperatures, <laughs> which after I read that, I read this before I actually watched the movie. And yeah, there's like this whole carnival scene towards the end of the movie where everyone's in like winter coats and wearing hats and scarves and gloves. And it's obviously, I think there was Christmas decorations um, in one of the characters' homes. So this takes place around Christmas time. And I want to say it's like in New York or something. So yeah, I don't know why people would be going to a carnival in the middle of the winter. So good point, Tom Hanks. I agree. Um, also, the shooting of the film was done in only 15 days. Wow. Which, uh, yeah, that's kind of obvious after you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, when the movie started, I thought it started off great. Yeah. I was totally in it. Like, eight movie in. Eight movie in. Shut up. I've been drinking. Um, eight minutes. <laughs> eight minutes into the movie and I was like all right this is awesome and then it slowly went downhill (laughs) from there so yeah yeah okay so the soundtrack is now sort of ripping off Argento meets Carpenter because there was like this weird soundtrack going on behind it and I was like is this Halloween is this um whatchamacallit, the other movie, Suspiria, like, it sounded like they took both of those, like, themes and mixed them together musically, and it was very awkward. That is my very next comment, is there, not only that, but there was lots of Halloween ripoffs, but oh, yes, my there God. was, yeah, clearly. I think, I think this movie was definitely trying to ride on the coattails of the success of Halloween that came out just two years prior to this mess being made, but yes, the main theme song had a very similar um I'm not musical so I don't know (laughs) I don't know the word I'm searching for but I pointed it out to Spencer while we were watching it it was like the um the count what do you call that 
the count? Like you, you have like a eight four or a four eight. I don't. Shut up. Quit laughing at me. But what what is what do you call it? The time signature. Time signature. Yes. You knew that, that one, right? On the tip of my tongue. Yeah. The time signature was very similar to. Well, more so than that, just the the feeling. It it was a very 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 similar to the way that the tone sound and their the you know the eighth notes and the. You know the the short sort of staccato. Yeah, constant eighth notes like Halloween and like Argento. Yeah, super similar. Yeah, all that that all that stuff is what I was going to say. I know, I know. <laughs> I actually know how to play the Halloween theme on the piano now. I'm getting really good nice. at it. Side note. Anyway, but then there was the scene where so the main character in this film, who is a bride instead of a babysitter, she's essentially like the Jamie Lee Curtis of this movie. And she keeps, and insisting, she's no Jamie Lee Curtis. What? No, she is not. Um, but she keeps <laughs> insisting that someone's following her. And there's a scene where she's by her kitchen window and she sees a man outside standing next to a row of hedges, which is similar to the two scenes yes. in Halloween where one she's walking with her friends and she sees Michael Myers standing next to those hedges and her friend like walks up and like looks behind the hedges and she's like Lori he wants to talk to you yeah and Lori goes over there and he's it was gone. like straight out of how I was like kind of shocked at how much of a ripoff that scene was um I also named that guy Mr. Rando Crazy Eyes because there was like no real huge explanation for him but he had really crazy eyes and they kept focusing on that so therefore that's how yes. i referred to him throughout the rest of the movie he was very very lame like as far as killers go he was a very lame killer but he did have crazy looking eyes yeah um but but that scene though more it was more representative of the other scene where Lori's on the phone and she's looking out the window in oh, her bedroom yeah. and sees michael myers standing out there so yeah that was that scene was totally um, ripped off from Halloween. Then there was also a scene at the end of this movie where the killer is on top of her car and you see the hand come down and smash the glass on the driver's side window. And it's completely similar to the scene in the beginning of Halloween where Michael Myers escapes from the mental institution and he breaks the glass while the nurse is in the car and then steals the car and drives away. It's like, come on. Like it was straight out of it. Yeah. It was crazy. Totally. Um, Tom Hanks doesn't even make an appearance until like 60 minutes in the movie. I kept, Spencer and I kept looking at each other like, where the fuck is Tom Hanks? Well, and then he fucking mansplains horror to everybody, which I was like, really, Tom Hanks? Although he was young and like was not Tom Hanks as we know him now. So he had no say so. Well, I don't think he wrote it. I know, <laughs> but I was like, what the fuck? I waited this whole time to see Tom Hanks and now he's like adorable baby Tom Hanks, but he's mansplaining horror movies to me. Great. Awesome. I didn't, honestly, that didn't bug me as much as I actually wrote down that, um, so the main character, Amy, she's the bride who's about to get married and she keeps seeing someone following her and her ex-boyfriend who is trying to get back together with her. He's still in love with her. He doesn't want her to get married. Who was kind of adorable. I'm sorry. He was kind of adorable. I thought. Uh, I mean, whatever. He has a cool job. He works in a morgue and he's studying forensics. And this is back in 1980. So I thought that was cool. But then he kept mansplaining to her that basically (laughs) she's like crazy. Every time she said, like, I see someone standing outside a window. 
no, you don't. There's no one there. Or the end scene where she comes running into the morgue where he's working in the middle of the night. She's hysterical and screaming as if, you know, maybe she's actually being chased by a crazy serial killer. And he's still like, no one's trying to kill you. No one's after you. We've been over this before. <laughs> it's like, like, why doesn't he want to believe her? He, uh, he gets schooled, though, doesn't he? Uh, he does get schooled, but that was just like so annoying to me. It's like, dude, if you're trying to win your ex back and stop her from marrying like this douchebag who like her new, you don't really see much of her new um, fiance, but basically everyone around her keeps saying what an asshole he is and that she shouldn't marry him. But if you're trying to win her back, maybe like believe her when she tells you that someone's trying to kill her. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, whatever. Mindy's got the hots for this guy. Sorry if I offended you. <laughs> um, I know. I'm like, but ju- yeah. I just went silent over here. That was not intentional. But honestly, the movie is not scary. It has no idea how to build tension. And the killer is just super lame. So I'm going to say I do not recommend this movie. Uh, the first eight minutes were really cool. And other than that, it sucked. I wrote down at the ve- the very, very end, though, which we probably won't talk about just because why. All I'm going to say is that I wrote down, damn, we got M. Nighted for the very ending because it was like trying to be a twist ending, but it like didn't make sense like at all. I, I honestly don't even remember how the movie ended. It was so like not memorable. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Honestly, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and we just watched it last night. And we did just watch it last night, and I still don't remember how it ended. Oh, for real? <laughs> That's, that says a lot. Um, but anyways, I will say, though, um, this week we also watched uh, In Search of Darkness, since we were talking about 80s movies. Uh, this is oh. a documentary on Shudder. Yes, I finally started that. It's a journey into iconic 80s horror, and... I wrote down about 40 horror movie titles that I had not seen before. So oh, I have my list for October. There so I recommend everyone check that out. Um, if you want some recommendations for good 80s horror movies. And also, it's an awesome documentary. And it just totally took me back to my childhood. Any horror fan, no matter when you were born, even if you didn't grow up in the 80s, I think you would appreciate this. Yeah, I agree. I started watching it finally, and, uh, like, it's it's crazy how I had to, like, force myself to shut it off, because it's really long, obviously, so you have to, like, digest it over a few days, and I couldn't stop watching it. It was, it was great. So, yeah, I would, I'm not even done with it, and I would say I recommend it. More so than any of the movies we've, dis- we've discussed, so. Yeah, it, yeah, I don't think they mentioned any of the movies we, we, just discussed um but it is four and a half hours long uh yeah. we watched it in two two nights um because it, it is like you can't stop watching it and i'm really really hoping that they do a 70s documentary because i would love to see them do this same thing with um 70s horror movies because there's obviously so many iconic movies from the 70s you know some of our favorites black christmas yeah uh, texas chainsaw massacre the original halloween um but yeah, so, all right, Mindy, give me your favorite and your least favorite. My favorite, I have to say, I think was Iced, just because it was so ridiculous, but kind of awesome. 
But at the same time, kind of softcore porn. So there's that, I guess. <laughs> That's not why I liked it, Bonus. but I was just like, oh, yeah, there's that aspect. And my least favorite was definitely Redneck Zombies, but I think that my mom is a werewolf was close. It was a close second, but I don't know. Redneck Zombies kind of took the they took the trophy for worst of this group. Uh, how about you, Sharon? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you 100%. Um, while I did like Funeral Home, um, I just think that um, because of the quality of it, I couldn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And Iced was just so much fun. I mean, it yeah, was like it- a horrible 80s slasher movie in all the best ways. And yeah, Redneck Zombies... I don't think that's any surprise (laughs) that that is both of our least favorite. So, yeah, that is basically it for today. Uh, (laughs) Our random horror movie slash true crime wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's kind of every episode, isn't it? Um, But yeah, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, Please rate and review us on whatever streaming platform that you listen to us on. Um, It does help us get more exposure doesn't take very long it's free to do um, and we would very much appreciate it Uh, if you are also able to you can subscribe to our patreon if you want to have early access to episodes see exclusive posts and maybe even receive some cool shit if you go to whores talk whore on instagram you can find the link to our patreon in our bio also please be sure to check out our twitter and facebook as well you can always email us at whorestalkwhore at gmail.com if you want to share any suggestions that you have for things for us to watch, whether good or bad. Um, any ghost stories, creepy stories, true crime stories, uh, UFO stories, or you can just say, what's up? Um, and <laughs> hope everyone is still you know, safe and healthy and always be kind to each other. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. As always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy, creepy with us. Sharon, do you want a beer? Uh, oh my god.